0: I am so sorry that the cause of my being here is Scott's suffering. We do love you, Scott. I'm thankful to be here, but uh, he was texting me this week, and I was just like doubled over just reading his text. Um, I drive by the building every day. I drive by this uh, corner every day, usually stop at the light. I hardly ever get through the light on a green light. And it gives me an opportunity to uh, pray for you guys. Uh, As a church, and I love doing so. I love Scott. Uh, I could go on and on about Scott. Thankful for his friendship and partnership in the gospel for so many years. And um, um, I'm praying for whoever is standing on this corner also, Uh, not just the church, but uh, those um, that are here on this corner. Um, A lot of us. maybe have been touched by or even even now are living in what you would describe as material poverty. Or maybe it's not material poverty. Maybe it's poverty in some other form, in the form of broken relationships, or a lack of resources that have left you uh, weak and alone and feeling as though it's really hard to succeed and be fruitful and support yourself. Poverty comes in a lot of forms. it's so often a lack of resources, but uh, we usually think of it's a lack of money, but it can be a lack of resources in so many other ways. And even if you're not living in what you would call a condition of poverty this morning, I'd love for you to engage this morning in God's word with us as we um, answer a question, seek to answer a question that I think is on the heart of God all the time, that, that grips his heart as we see his special concern for the weak and for those that are living in some form of a condition of poverty. And it's this, what did Jesus mean when he said in Luke chapter 7 verse 22 that he has come uh, uh, to preach good news to the poor? What does that mean? The poor have the good news preached to them. He's standing in the synagogue, he's reading from Isaiah, and he says those very words. And I think that we will make so little progress unless we understand what it is that Jesus had in mind when he said those words, the poor have good news preached to them. That's the question I'd like for us to explore today when I say all of us, I mean all of us, because... If you are not feeling the effects of poverty right now in your life, let me remind you that you were born in poverty. You were born in spiritual poverty, all of us. Spiritually impoverished, spiritually dead, and deeply, deeply in need. Oh, I'm in AV trouble. Thank you. But the next time, I'm, in, I'm really in trouble. All right. I think the best place to answer this question is in John chapter uh, 6, verses 1 through 15. It's the story of what we call the feeding of the 5,000. So if you've got a Bible, open it up. If you've got an app, open it up. If you don't have either of those, um, you're going to see it on the screen here. Uh, So uh, let me read this, and, um, and let's unpack this in pieces. And I think it'll lead us to a really good answer as to what Jesus meant, what he was talking about, uh, preaching good news to the poor. So uh, John chapter six verses one through 15. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias, and a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, Two hundred denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little one of the disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? And Jesus said, Have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Remarkable story. If you've been a Christian for any amount of time, you've probably heard this multiple times. I want to shake us up a little bit, make it uh, not so familiar. If you're hearing this for the first time, I'm excited for you because this is something that really happened in a real place, real time, and it's crazy, it's crazy. Let's look at the scope of the problem first. First, um, uh, John wants to put in front of us how big this problem is. Verse 2, there was a large crowd following him, following Jesus, that is. Same in verse 5. Keep following down here. The verses we will skip through uh, the early part of this uh, section. We're going to learn that there are 5,000 men. So probably, and there's a reason why it's counted this way, Probably altogether, maybe fifteen to thirty thousand people. Fifteen to thirty thousand people. So, um, what does Fenway Park hold? Is it forty-ish? Does anybody know? A little under forty thousand. Thank you. Okay. So, uh, oh, pardon the pun. It's in that ballpark. (laughs) It just came. I'm sorry. I couldn't resist. Um, So we're you know we're we're talking about like roughly maybe. 30,000, 40,000 people probably. Verse seven, uh, no, excuse me, verse five. Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? John is building a case for the scope of this problem being overwhelmingly uh, massive. Just like we're supposed to feel the weight of uh, of this problem. Verse seven, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. Here, we're talking maybe about today's equivalent of $40,000, $50,000. And then verse 9, well, there's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. But what are they for so many? So many little details in here. John John is an awesome writer. I, I hope you appreciate John as a writer. Um, he, he just, he's always tossing in these little details. You're like, who cares if it's barley loaf, Uh, barley loaf, barley loaf was the lowest quality of bread you could get. It was the junk bread. I won't start naming names of brands of bread, show my hand, but you know, it's like bad bread. Nobody wants barley loaves, two fish, but John also says this is a boy. Is that just a passing fact because, well, it was? Yes, but John's always getting at least two meanings out of what he's talking about. Children in, in uh, the first century uh, uh, Near Eastern context were not valued, just not valued at all. They, they didn't count. You didn't really count in society until you were an adult. We didn't think of kids the way we do now. You wanna protect them and care for them. They're just, you're just waiting for them to grow up to become worth something. So here's a crowd of maybe 30,000 people. They're hungry. And the only solution we have is somebody goes and buys $40,000 worth of food so they don't starve. Or we've got a boy with bad bread and two little fish. Overwhelming problem. And John wants us to feel it. He's set up this story so strongly that we feel the scope of this problem. And where do you even begin to solve it? We are supposed to feel like the disciples, we are supposed to feel like the boy with inconsequential resources. This summer, uh, we spent, uh, our, our ministry and some teams that were with us uh, spent four weeks in two different parks here in Providence, new to Concernet, uh Park in Silver Lake and uh, Dexter Park, not far from here. Met a, a young man in his um, 20s uh, in Dexter Park. He'd been living in the park uh, for a couple of months, um, and uh, he'd been working at Chili's uh, for a couple of years. And um, we talked to him, he'd been, uh, he just freely told us his story, and uh, it was really moving and and, uh, 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 heart-gripping to to, uh, talk through his story with him. Um, His girlfriend moved on, got depressed, didn't know where to get help, started drinking, uh, lost his job, and as a consequence, he lost his apartment. And um, it's not an unfamiliar story uh, to some of you. It's not an unfamiliar story uh, to me and my experience with caring for others. But just this gentleman's uh, story just seems so overwhelmingly challenging uh, to me. We're just standing there in the park talking. It was hot. And as the day wore on, I, uh, we were able to get him um, uh, a meal for that day. Um, But my mind just started multiplying how many stories, how many um, people that God loves, his image bearers, um, in Providence, or in New England, across the US, around the world. And uh, you just feel overwhelmed. Overwhelmed. I do. I feel overwhelmed. 30% of the world lives on less than $3.20 a day. 30% of the world. No stats, you know, but when you see somebody in front of you and then you realize that's multiplied worldwide, it feels overwhelming. Just as it did, I think, for the disciples um, standing on the hill looking at this crowd, massive crowd. And they're hungry. Let's look at the scope of the solution. Let's keep going. Verses 11 through 13. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up, filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. I, I, I hope you at least entered into this feeling of overwhelm uh, with the scope of the problem. And John doesn't help us make a smooth transition at all to the scope of the solution. He just says, oh, and then just Jesus takes these Uh, barley loaves and he takes these fish and he prays and then they feed everybody and then they then they're good you're like what what just happened I said this already I want to say it again you guys this really happened in a real place in a real time this is not a myth it's not a story it's not a parable there was at some point it's been a while but there was at some point a group of approximately 30,000 people sitting on a hillside that Jesus fed with five loaves and two fish. That's crazy. If I had been there, it would have been life-changing for the rest of my life. I'd be telling everybody I knew I was there that day when Jesus fed that crowd with this little lunch from this boy. it It would totally change our lives. The fact that there are 12 uh, uh, basketfuls left over, again, I don't think f- for John is just a fact. It is a fact, but uh, why 12? I wonder, uh, what what's the significance of 12? You start thinking, well, what does 12 mean in the Bible? You've got the 12 tribes of Israel, you've got the 12 tribes of, oh, excuse me, the 12 disciples in the New Testament. I think John is, in fact, drawing on the 12 tribes of Israel, uh, and, and then by extension, maybe the 12 disciples, but the 12 tribes of Israel, by by saying this, he's saying everybody, everybody got fed and uh, there was was enough left over. He's just, he's showing how lavish Jesus' grace to this crowd is as a shepherd. He's cared for them so thoroughly that even the leftovers fill up everything that we need. Something along those lines. The people are hungry, then the people are empty. The people are empty and then they're filled, excuse me. They're hungry and they're empty and then they're completely filled, all their needs. Jesus doesn't just squeak out a miracle. He's not sitting over on the side like sweating because he just barely made it possible for, for everybody to get enough that's going to hold them until the next meal. This this reminds me of the theme of the book of Colossians. The theme of the book of Colossians is fullness. Fullness in Christ. Don't go anywhere else. You don't need to go to anybody else to get filled. Friends, this is what our souls crave. This is what loneliness in our souls feels like. This hungry crowd And Jesus comes and fills the people's stomachs in order so that he can talk to them about filling their souls. When we feel empty, we try to fix ourselves with other things. We try to fill our our hearts with other things. Often it's other people. In our emptiness, we demand that others fill us. We may not even hardly know what we're doing. We grow manipulative. We grow demanding. We grow clingy. Sometimes we grow violent. Sometimes we grow depressed. We crave love and attention. We cannibalize one another emotionally. And all the while, Christ is waiting for us to come to him and say, would you fill me? Would you fill me? I'm hungry. My soul is hungry. This is what the woman at the well experienced, isn't it? She came looking for some water, and Jesus said, oh, I've, I've got water for you. I've got water that you can't even imagine. So we see the scope of the problem. We see the scope of the solution. I'd like to dive even just a little bit deeper for, as we as we. Um, conclude and move through this passage and look directly at what it is Then exactly is the good news that's preached to the poor. I think to get an answer for this, we would look at three backgrounds. So this is the third point, but I've got three points inside of it. Three backgrounds to this story that's going to help us see um, uh, what's going on here. The first background is the background of the Old Testament. And specifically, I'd like for us to um, think about um, something that happened in Ezekiel chapter 34. So, um, the spiritual leaders of Israel through a stretch of time, actually multiple stretches of time, were not healthy, not good for um, the people of Israel. They were actually, um, they, they were bad for them. Supposed to be good shepherds of Israel, and in fact, what you're doing, God said, is you are you are not feeding the sheep, you're eating the sheep. Well, let me just read this passage. This comes from um, Ezekiel chapter 34. Shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones. You do not feed the sheep, the weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled the people. And God says a little bit later in that passage, I am against you. I just shudder when I read that. Can you imagine being an appointed leader of God's people, uh, misusing your role, and then hearing God say to you, I am against you. And God says, I will, bring about, I, I will take matters into my own hands. I'm going to bring about a shepherd who will shepherd the people in the way that they're supposed to, in the way that he's supposed to. Sometimes we experience poverty because we're victims of religious rulers who, uh, religious uh, leaders who manipulate us, manipulate people into giving them money. This is true with uh, health and wealth uh, movement. It's very popular among inner city communities. And even when a false gospel is not preached, it's more often the case that no gospel is preached. And uh, it's been on my heart for years. And our our ministry, New England Urban Church Planting, uh, seeks to plant healthy churches in these inner city uh, communities. Because the gospel of Jesus Christ, this Christ that we're talking about this morning, is... Uh, the greatest hope that we have but it has to be the gospel of jesus christ and not a gospel where uh, we hear that if you give me money uh, you'll become wealthy sometimes poverty happens because ministry leaders and religious leaders um, take money from others that's the first background is ezekiel 34 The second background is something that's gone on more recently around this story and geographically close to what's happened. So um, the geography of of this part of uh, Israel is here's the Sea of Galilee where this is happening, and then there's a river, the Jordan River, and then here's the Dead Sea. And um, this is the way you're looking at it. So up here on the west side is ruled by Herod, Uh, Herod's uh, one of the uh, appointees of the Roman Empire uh, for this territory. And Jesus has taken uh, all these people that are following him over to the other side, just out of Herod's territory. And Herod, um, uh, you may uh, remember, um, Herod, probably close to this time, uh, not long before, has thrown a party. And he's thrown uh, on uh, to honor him, himself, at a, at a birthday party. And he's thrown this big party. And um, does anybody remember what happens at this party? Massive amounts of food, all kinds of drinking, all sorts of things. You guys are shaking your hands. You can say it out loud. Go ahead. John the Baptist's head gets chopped off at the end of this party for his wife's sister. Is that right? Daughter. Thank you. Yes. Right. Herod's party takes place in this palace full of treasure, but it brings about death at the end. Jesus' feeding of the 5,000 happens on a hill, lots of grass, no food around, but it results in people being fed, all of them lavishly. And it results in Jesus drawing them to himself as the life giver. I'm going to jump ahead and steal my own thunder. Herod kills for his pleasure. Jesus will give up his life for the lives of everybody in that crowd. We'll come back to that in a minute. The downtrodden status of so many in Rome was directly related to the building of wealth for Rome's rulers and for the building up of the Roman Empire. And Jesus does just the opposite so generous, so sacrificial, so giving. He gives of himself that we might be wealthy. The Sermon on the Mount begins with, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Jesus came to save souls. Jesus came to bring eternal life. The poor are not tossed aside and told to stay out. It doesn't say this about Herod's party. I can guarantee you there was nobody poor there at that party. Nobody. Nobody. And in Jesus's kingdom, all are welcomed in. This is a radical ruler. And so the contrast you see is in Ezekiel 34, the bad shepherds, and here's Jesus, a good shepherd. Here's this flock of 30,000 people hungry. What does Jesus do? He doesn't send them away. saying, what's your problem? Go find something to eat. He feeds them. Here's Herod throwing this lavish party for his own benefit. Ends up killing John the Baptist at the end. Jesus is not a shepherd like this. Jesus is not a ruler like Herod. He's exactly the opposite. The third background, though, is the most, I think, the richest one. And the picture that John draws for us as he concludes this story about the feeding of the 5,000, John, in this story, it's really a cool story because Jesus interprets it for us afterwards. and We haven't read that part, but I encourage you to look at it. Jesus, or John, uh, says that it was around the time of the Passover when all this happens. He says that in verse 4. By the way, he tosses in the little detail that there was a lot of grass on the side of the hill. That's because it was around the time of the Passover, and that's when the, 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 the grass would have been greenest. He just, he just loves all these little details. I hope you enjoy the Bible. It's really cool. In feeding the multitude, Jesus anticipates his own flesh and blood will be given for the life of the world. That's what John goes on to say as he interprets what's happened here. The Passover is at hand, the feast of the Jews. And so John picks up on this. Well, no, Jesus picks up on this as he talks about what has just happened. He goes back to the Old Testament and he says, Um, This isn't the Passover, but he says, Moses provided manna, bread from heaven, for you. I am that bread. I am that bread. We've just fed all these people. I want you to notice that what uh, is really happening here is um, you are seeing that I have come to be that manna from heaven. I will feed you. With my life. And then Jesus, as he goes on from there, he incorporates the language of the Passover. He talks about eating bread and drinking wine. He says, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Well, then the Jews disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? And so Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Jesus' is feeding of the 5,000. Jesus healing the sick. Jesus turning water into wine. These are all out of a heart of compassion. Jesus cannot help but being compassionate. I wonder if you, um, wonder if you know how Jesus is described in the four Gospels more than any other way. Uh, it would be fun if we had a couple minutes to discuss this. Uh, I'm just going to tell you the answer. Um, compassionate. He's described more often as being compassionate than any other quality. But even more important than Jesus compassionately feeding, healing the sick, turning water into wine, Jesus has come with compassion to save our souls. Our physical condition is of great concern to God. Our souls are of even greater concern to God. And so everyone who experiences poverty firsthand has an even greater need than for food and for a home. We need spiritual food and a spiritual home. Jesus made himself uh, materially poor, vulnerable, an outcast, a person from no important place, son of a carpenter. Bible says he had no place to lay his head. Mistreated by authorities. I want you to hear that. Mistreated regularly by authorities all the way to the end. Treated unjustly. Philippians 3 says he emptied himself. So what's, what's, what's the good news that Jesus preached to us poor? Jesus didn't just preach good news to the poor. Jesus became good news for the poor. The message that Jesus preaches to us The message that Jesus brought to the poor is himself. The picture we get from the feeding of the 5,000 is this. Jesus becomes the host of a divine feast serving himself. This is what the prophet Isaiah dreamed of when he spoke of the inbreaking kingdom of God. He said, come all you who are thirsty, come to the waters you who have no money, come buy and eat. You who have no money. Come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why can the poor afford this feast? Because Jesus paid the price for it on the cross. Jesus Christ came to save us from our sin which has made us all spiritually poor, spiritually dead. He became poor that we might be rich. He died that we might live. His perfect life, his sacrificial death, his resurrection from the dead are the only hope for all of us. And this is especially good news for the poor. Let's pray together. Father, we fall down again on our faces flat before you, the God of all riches, the God creator who has given us life, and the God of all compassion and mercy, the Father of Jesus Christ whom you sent out of your love and mercy for us to rescue us from our condition. Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy to us. Thank you for meeting us where we are, dead in our sins, poor, impoverished, unable to solve our problems. Thank you for the lavish, lavish meal of your son, Jesus Christ, given for us, broken for us, that we might live. Glorify him in our lives. Give us hearts of thanksgiving. Make us messengers of this good, good news. Give us a conviction to care for others, including always telling them about Jesus, who loves them, gave himself for them.